Welcome, everyone, to episode 66 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and I've got another unsolved murder for you guys today. But first, I just wanted to let everyone know that next week will be another week off for the podcast, but we'll be back the following Friday with another brand new episode. So let's just get right into today. Everyone, sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. Jeanette De Palma was an American teenager who was believed to have been murdered sometime on or around August 7, 1972 in Springfield Township, New Jersey. The case, still currently unsolved, has become a matter of significant controversy due in part to coverage in Weird NJ Magazine and in the 2015 book Death on the Devil's Teeth. In 2021, the New York Daily News mentions that the organization named Justice for Jeanette De Palma is dedicated to keeping her memory alive. The organizers are continuing to look for clues even as the case approaches a half-century mark. On the afternoon of Monday, August 7, 1972, 16-year-old Jeanette De Palma left her home on Clearview Road in Springfield Township telling her mother that she was going to take a train to a friend's house. When she did not arrive at her friend's house or return later that evening, her parents filed a missing persons report with the police department the following day. Six weeks later, on September 19th, Jeanette's remains were found atop a cliffside inside of the Springfield's Hoodale Quarry after a local dog brought her decomposing right forearm and hand back to its owner. According to several witnesses at the scene, Jeanette's skeletal remains were surrounded by a series of strange and possibly occult objects. Descriptions vary, but the most commonly agreed-upon account states that her remains were found inside of a coffin-shaped perimeter of fallen branches and logs, and inside of this perimeter were several small makeshift wooden crosses. Some Springfield residents later claimed that Jeanette's remains were found lying on a pentagram surrounded by mutilated animal remains. Law enforcement have denied this was true. Further controversy was aroused when it was discovered that the body had been found on a cliff known to the locals for several decades as the Devil's Teeth. 
The Springfield Police Department began an investigation of Jeanette's death after an autopsy could not reveal a cause of death. Her remains and clothing showed no evidence of bone fractures, bullet wounds, or knife strikes. No drug paraphernalia was found on or around her body. For undisclosed reasons, the coroner suspected that strangulation was the cause of death, leading the Union County Prosecutor's Office to treat the case as an unsolved homicide. The coroner also discovered an unusually high amount of lead in the remains, but no explanation was found for this occurrence either. Early in the investigation, Springfield Police received a tip regarding a homeless man living in the woods near the quarry. This man was known to the locals simply as Red, and it was alleged that he fled his campsite in the woods shortly after Jeanette went missing. While this lead initially looked promising, the Union County Prosecutor's Office ultimately decided that Red had nothing to do with Jeanette's death. Investigators continued to attempt to find leads, but due to the lack of tips from the public, along with inconsistent stories told to the police by her family, friends, and peers, the case eventually went cold. Despite rumors and innuendo offered by Springfield Police regarding Jeanette's possibly dying as a result of a drug overdose, no drug paraphernalia was found on, near, or around her body, and she was not known by friends or family to have used any recreational or prescription drugs other than occasionally smoking marijuana socially. Jeanette's autopsy report makes no mention of the possibility of a drug overdose, and medical examiner Bernard Ehrenberg went on record stating that he suspected strangulation, as he could not rule it out during the autopsy of her remains. Around two weeks after the discovery of Jeanette's remains, several newspapers, including the Newark Star-Ledger and the New York Daily News, began reporting that she may have been the victim of an occult sacrifice carried out either by Satanists or by a local coven of witches who operated inside nearby Wachung Reservation. This coverage was spurred by reports that the body had been found surrounded by strange objects and by the theories of James Tate, the pastor of the De Palma family's Assemblies of God Church. Rumors about the case set off a panic in several Union County communities which were still recovering from the shock of the John List murders only 10 months earlier. In the late 1900s and early 2000s, Weird NJ Magazine began to report on the decades-old case after receiving several anonymous letters regarding Jeanette's death. Editor and co-founder Mark Morin began investigating the case and wrote about many purportedly suspicious details including the allegation that Springfield Police had lost or destroyed the case file. The Springfield Police Department maintains that the file was lost due to flooding caused by Hurricane Floyd in 1999. Others allege that a copy is still on file. Morin eventually teamed up with Weird NJ correspondent Jesse P. Pollock to write the book Death on the Devil's Teeth, The Strange Murder That Shocked Suburban New Jersey. Throughout the course of their research, Pollock and Morin discovered several instances of a possible cover-up, connections to other unsolved murders, 
and previously unknown suspects. Edward Salonzo sued the Union County Prosecutor's Office to test Jeanette Palma's clothing for DNA. Edward was given a box of documents that contained the FBI crime lab report and the medical examiner's report by John Bancy, Jeanette Palma's nephew, before he passed away. The crime lab report states that stains were found in her underwear, bra, blouse, and slacks were too decomposed for conclusive blood and semen examinations in 1972. In 2021, the New York Daily News mentions that the organization named Justice for Jeanette De Palma is dedicated to keeping her memory alive. The organizers are continuing to look for clues even as the case approaches the half-century mark. In 2022, the Daily Beast wrote an updated article on Jeanette's case. Jeanette De Palma is mentioned in the book A Long Walk Home urging her case to be changed from a suspicious death to a homicide. The book mentions similarities between Jeanette De Palma, Joan Kramer, and Carol Ann Farino killings. During the spring of 2021, convicted New Jersey serial killer Richard Cottingham made a series of written statements to journalist Jesse Pollock alluding to him having possibly abducted and killed Jeanette while she was hitchhiking. Pollock forwarded this correspondence to the Union County Prosecutor's Office after Cottingham agreed to speak with investigators if they would meet with him. Cottingham's statements regarding Jeanette's murder were later printed in the 2022 updated and revised edition of Death on the Devil's Teeth. As of December 2022, no updates have been given by law enforcement, and the case is still cold. Our next story comes from YourGhostStories.com, and keeping kind of in line with our first story, It's the author's encounter with a possible demon. When I was 17, I opened a door that should have remained closed. I was at the public library and checked out a book about demons. I was always an avid reader, and to me, it was just another horror book. I checked out for two weeks. I really had no concept of demons. I believed in God, but just not so much in the other end of things. I had the concept of God and angels, and if they were truly in heaven, then nothing bad could be there. They protected us, right? That very concept changed forever. Hello, Crash Course in Free Will. I ended up reading the book, and the next thing I know, I started seeing the shadows. The dark ones. Some looked like crows, some black cats, and then the smaller humanoid types. There was one, more human, who was taller, dark, and he was everywhere. If I was reading, I could see his shadow, leaning over my shoulder as if reading with me. He would also be on the roof, hanging down, peering into my window. I could see his form, blocking out light, and hanging there upside down, like a crouching bat. 
He had pointed ears, and I will never forget that silhouette against the starry sky watching me. My sister began seeing these things too. We both saw what looked like fighting, bolts of blue, and white lightning that streaked across darkened rooms at each other. The most amazing occurrence was when we were at the movies, and the whole theater was a battleground, with us being the only ones who could see the lights. In retrospect, I do believe it was good and evil fighting. I think that I was more curious and mesmerized than concerned by all of this going on. Until one evening, I was lying across my bed, reading as usual, and I felt a hand touch my foot. Hard pressure on the sole of my foot, grasping. That scared me. Whatever this was could touch me. The end came quickly to this situation a couple days later. Late one Friday night, I was home alone, and my mom and sister drove up. In the headlights of the car, my sister saw a huge demon, hairy and tall, like a buffalo on its hind legs, and it was running around the house, trying to escape the headlights. My mom didn't see it, nor did she or my dad ever see any of the things going on. My sister thought that it had been after me, and she was terrified. Her fear was palpable as she told me what she saw. She told me to take care of this and get it the hell out of our home. I was horrified. The next morning, a Saturday, I found myself home alone, a godsend in a house where Saturday mornings were the optimum time for everyone being home. I cleansed the house, blessed the house, and I got that book the hell out of there. I never saw it again at the library, even though the section of horror I pursued was near where I found it. I hoped that it was removed from the shelves and destroyed. Funny thing, I have a feeling it never made it back to the shelves. I have a strong feeling that it was never supposed to be there in the first place. The thought of burning the book never crossed my mind. I just wanted the things sent back to hell where they belonged, and all things in my world back to where they had been before. I had succeeded in clearing the house of all evil. No more shadows, lights, touches, or seeing anything ever again. The downside is I I will always regret having my sister feel that horror and fear. The upside is that my faith in all that is good was strengthened beyond all that I could have imagined. I know now what's out there, and I will use my belief to send it away every chance that I get. I hold that faith close to this day. These things were getting stronger, more brazen, and I never want to even consider opening any doorway again. I was uninformed, stupid for doing that, and utterly ignorant for bringing that into my home. This all occurred in a two-week period and I thank God my faith was intact. I was considerably blessed that I realized the problem was growing beyond me and that I had the strength to send it back. I hope someone learns from this. It's not a game. It is real, and it is awful. Our next story is also about a possible demon encounter. The year was 1999. It was late in July, and my best friend had invited me to go jet skiing in the Atlantic with his family. 
As always, I accepted his invitation and drove over to his house to stay the night. I arrived after they had eaten dinner and everyone was just sitting around the table planning for the trip in the morning. I took up a chair and just listened in on what the plans were. My friend's dad went to bed and his mother and he decided that they should inform me of what had been happening in the house within the past week or so. She started off with a simple, yet at the same time, a silly question. Do you believe in ghosts? I said no and I looked at my friend to see where the punchline came in. She then said that her daughter, who is the same age as me, had always had trouble with this ghost, but it had recently decided to start bothering the rest of the house. She continued to speak, and at times, I found it hard to keep listening, but I drudged through. They have only two children, my friend and his younger sister. They also had a great name named Jada. About this time, my friend's sister came in from wherever she had been and joined in the conversation that they were forcing me to have about this ghost. She stated that it always moved things in her room and sometimes just thrashed the place. This would be a good excuse for a teenage girl to have, but not for her. She is excessively compulsive, which translates to neat freak. She went on and said that she could ignore it for only so long before she asked my friend to bless the room. At this time, he was a very pious and believed it was a demon, and that he could cast it out because he was a Christian. Two nights went by, and the ghost had apparently moved on, until that following weekend it was like a breath of fresh air in the house. I'm quoting this. His sister came home one afternoon after cheerleader practice and went up to wash in the bathroom and her brother that her and her brother shared. She took a shower and went to get a towel out of the linen closet located in the bathroom. When she opened the sliding mirror door, crouched on the floor was a sickly looking old lady looking up at her. She freaked out and ran naked through the house to find her brother. This is when I found out that she was staying at a friend's house and only came home to shower and get clean clothes. Now I was very skeptical still at this point. So my friend told me of his encounter with it. He stated, I thought I scared it off, but it only seems like I pissed it off. And now it is in my room too. He followed it up by saying, it scratches the wall and ceiling and pulled my covers off of me in the middle of the night. I was trying to be nice, but I couldn't help but throw in a couple of jabs at them, because it all seemed very far-fetched to me. So they finally gave up with me, but told me to be careful and not provoke it. I went into my friend's room to make a bed on the floor while they still sat around in the living room talking about the ghost. In his room, or a walk-in closet, closet with only one door in and no vents. I went in and got covers, a pillow, and an old military bedroll, then set up a sleeping area. I noticed a weird-looking oriental lamp in the room that was on, but not throwing off much light. I went back out of the room and asked about the lamp. My friend stated, It doesn't like the light, so I leave it on so I can get some sleep. Now I really had to poke fun at him for having a nightlight. 
I told him that I better not wake up to see him sucking on his thumb, or he'd never hear the end of it. We finally made our way to the room to go to sleep, but as most kids do, when it's time for rest, we stayed up just talking. About 20 minutes went by, and I started to hear scratching sounds coming from the closet. So I sat up, and I told him to stop playing around because I wasn't buying into all this crap. He kind of disregarded my statement and just said, that's how it always starts. I told him the ghost was in his head and that he was just being childish and trying to scare me. I also said, if this ghost is real, why the hell can it only scratch the door? Is it retarded? No sooner did I get those words out that the door started shaking with such force that it seemed like someone was trying to kick the damn thing in. He simply put his hands up, I guess showing me it wasn't him, but even as skeptical as I was, I knew he had nothing to do with it. The door went from banging to scratching, then back again, and then it just stopped. We finally went to sleep after it was quiet for a while. I was only asleep for maybe three hours or so before I woke up. The light was bothering me, so I sat up and I turned it off. I lay back down, and the next thing I know, the strange whooping, screeching sound was right over me. Never in all my years have I heard such a horrible sound. The next thing I remember is my friend standing on his bed to pull the light switch. He was pale as a sheet of paper and pissed off. He said, What the hell did you turn that off for? Now it won't leave us alone. We left the room and went to the living room to get away from it. It really didn't seem to care at this point. As we were leaving the room, the bedroom door slammed shut and opened back up and then slammed shut again. As seeing this, I almost had to go check my underwear. The room sounded like a hurricane was going through it. We just sat listening to all of this. My friend's expression never changed. He was tired and mad. So we just sat there, not talking, just listening to this thing throw a temper tantrum in his bedroom. When it was bored with that, it started scratching on the ceiling in the living room. And that continued so long, I think we just stopped listening to it. That morning, I apologized to his mother for doubting her story, and I honestly felt like a jackass for doing so in the first place. She told me that she had been in contact with a minister who would come and bless the house, but he was waiting to do more research so he would be better prepared for the task at hand. A week went by, and it continued on, so my friend was sleeping in their den, and they just tried to ignore it. There was a football game that week, and his sister wanted to get some photos of her in the new cheerleader outfit, so they set up a miniature photo shoot with the proper lighting and all. I was there at the time, because we had just got back from paintball practice, and we were sitting around checking out her cheerleader friends, who also wanted some photos of themselves. They went and dropped off the film in one of the one-hour photo shops. We were cleaning up our paintball markers when his mother showed back up with the photos and she simply said, you two need to see this. On several pictures, there was a shadow. You can almost make out the image of an old lady. The pictures were taken with a semi-auto camera, so there was no skipping in the pictures. In each photo, you see the image moving across and it stops. After a couple more pictures, you see it again, 
walking back the other way. They had a light in the front in front of the photographer, so no shadow would be there. When they took these pictures to the minister, he was speechless. The next day, the house was blessed, and they have only had one encounter since. That was back in 2002, when my friend and I were about to go to Iraq. Nothing has happened since. They still own the house, but they aren't there very much. Our final story comes from the same author as our last story. In late 2002, I was on stand-down orders from the Army, so I went back to work. I was a major with a security company and had to go to a post that people kept either calling in sick or would just simply refuse to go to. I meet the officer on duty and was informed of the post orders and given a tour of the grounds. This is a foundry located in East Central Florida. While going through the tour with the officer, I observed that the buildings were very old and I asked if there were any building that I should not enter at all. The officer said that he couldn't think of any. We went through the employee break room and bathroom area, which was in a modular building that looked almost new. There was an older radio that was playing some country music in the corner by a microwave. The officer walked over, turned it off, and then unplugged it. I thought it was strange, but I didn't want to talk to this man any more than I had to, so I didn't ask questions as to why he did that. He then just started talking and telling me how it was where the original railroad station used to be back a hundred years ago or so, but they moved it to where it was now. The station is now a museum in this small town and was within sight of where we were standing. The man told some of the stories that he had heard about murders, rapes, and all other bad things that had happened there. At all this being his supervisor, I asked if he was scaring other officers away so he could get the overtime. He looked at me insulted and started walking away into the closest building. Once inside, he produces a small black pistol and a flashlight, but he wasn't facing me. I had my service revolver, a Smith & Wesson Model 19 chambered in, 357 Magnum, so I pushed my coat away and unsnapped the retention strap. I stood there thinking, holy crap, this dude is flipped out. He turned around and said, I don't think this will help, but it makes me feel better. All I could think to say was, I hope you have a permit for that thing. He laughed at me and stated, kid, I don't even have bullets for this thing. I figured it best to stop asking questions, because the answers weren't making much sense anymore. We proceeded to walk through this huge building full of metal, cutting tools, and welding machines. It was the center of a cleared walk space outlined with yellow fluorescent paint to mark the path. At the end of this building was a security office with a phone, radio, and a desk with an old duct tape chair sitting behind it. The officer turned and asked me if I had planned to stay the whole night. I informed him that I was because his relief had called in sick tonight. He told me that he knew that girl, referring to the other officer, was scared out of her mind last night and he had to come in early and work a 16-hour shift per the colonel. 
is it, it was a 12 hour post and I knew it was going to be a long night running on a couple hours of sleep the day before. I let the officer go home and walked the property one more time before I sat down and relaxed. I must not have noticed how large this property was when I had first walked it. So laziness got the best of me. So I went and got my Jeep and I drove around it the second time. And I just stopped in front of the building, got out, and walked through them. I returned to the office and I called my wife. And I told her that I was not going to be home that night and that I would see her in the morning. I turned on the little radio in the office and sat down and started payroll for that week. It must have been really exciting stuff because I woke up about an hour and 45 minutes later. It was dark now and I needed to make a round anyway. But first I had to take a leak. I went and I got my Jeep and I drove down to the employee rest area, unlocked the door and went in. I was standing in front of the urinal when I heard somebody start singing. It was very faint, but I heard it nonetheless. I got done with my bathroom break, and I entered the lunchroom. The radio was playing, so I went over and I turned it off. I started walking out of the break area when it dawned on me that the officer had turned it off and unplugged it. So I returned to the radio and I unplugged it again. I went outside got in my jeep and I drove around the grounds and checked every building twice. I thought someone had jumped the fence and was playing around. I just wondered if the person realized that I was carrying hand cannon on my hip and a shotgun in my jeep. I returned to the security office after my search didn't turn up anything and I called the colonel. I told him to keep his radio on because I might have someone on the property and may need backup. He said, you know that place is haunted, don't you? I told him that the officer had made some hints, but he didn't outright say it. I told him that I would not be calling him to come hold my hand. I'd call him when I knew for sure I had the person detained. I continued to make my rounds in my Jeep, just in case. I went back by the break room to check the radio. It was off and unplugged. Cool. I then went to exit through the bathroom, and I didn't even make it to the door when I heard singing. I have the only keys to the building, so I must have locked the trespasser inside. I drew my pistol, and I went back into the break room expecting to see some scared local kid or some crackhead that got lost somehow. When I entered the room, not only was the door locked and there were nowhere to hide, it was empty of life. I walked over to the radio, turned it off, and I unplugged it again, picked it up, and I moved it to one of the tables across the room. I went back outside, got in my Jeep, and started driving down the dirt paths between the buildings. It was starting to rain. It is Florida. It's either raining or about to. I was making my way back to the office when I decided to make another round by the break area. I pulled up to the building, unlocked the door, walked in, and was rather pleased to see the radio exactly where I left it. I locked the building back up and went back to my Jeep. I started to drive the dirt path again. It was raining pretty heavy at this time. I just started off when a kid in ragged clothes ran in front of my Jeep. I slammed on my brakes and I went to open the door when a man 
and faded overalls ran the same path as the kid had. I exited the jeep, grabbed a flashlight off the dash, and I took off after them. At this time in my life, I ran the two mile in 13 minutes and two seconds. We covered some ground when I finally drew my pistol and I yelled, stop or I'll shoot. I know it's corny, but it's what I said. The kid kept running, but the man turned and faced me. Clean cut, built and full of rage. I drew the hammer on my revolver to single action to show that I would shoot. I whipped some rain and sweat from my face with my hand holding the flashlight, and when I opened my eyes again, he was gone. I walked his footsteps in the soft sand, but they just stopped where he did. I went back to my jeep, got my shotgun, and tracked the footprints again from where I first saw him, but it was the same outcome. They just stopped. Well, that is going to do it for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I truly hope that you enjoyed the stories. If you could, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really helps others to find us. Don't forget to share with friends and family. Make sure that you join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider helping to support the show by subscribing on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes being available from the $5 tier. I'm actually working on a second bonus episode for this month to be out sometime this weekend. Once again, thank you all for listening, and make sure to keep your doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved. <laughs>